We'd like to welcome you to the Halloween Eve edition of The Jazz Show. And uh, we hope that you can uh, stay with us for the full show. My name's Gavin Walker. And we're here, of course, every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. We have a lot to play for you this evening, as we usually do. We have over three hours of music because we carry on until after midnight. But um, we're going to do a few things, including uh, a tribute, because today would be his birthday anniversary, one of the greatest modern jazz trumpeters who was taken away from us at a very early age due to a car accident. Most people know that that gentleman is Clifford Brown, and he was not only as an example of an um, exceptional human being uh, and a husband, uh, a father, and um, a dedicated musician. He was so incredibly talented that he really was the biggest trumpet influence in the 1950s. Uh, we have the elder statesmen, of course, when Clifford was around. Miles Davis was one of them, even though these guys were, were pretty young. Dizzy Gillespie was a little older. Uh, Kenny Dorham and Fats Navarro, uh, who was Brownie's, um, Clifford Brown's biggest influence. And Fats sadly died um, in 1950. He was only 26, and it was uh, through... Uh, the misuse of drugs that uh, Fats passed away, and we lost one of the great voices of the trumpet. But uh, Clifford was a real extension of uh, Fats's concept, and of course Clifford went on to influence just about every other trumpet player that came up in the 50s. Lee Morgan, uh, Freddie Hubbard, um, you name a trumpet player that was not touched by Clifford Brown. And, of course, he also, through his example of clean living and so on, he influenced a lot of um, young musicians. They, they realized that Clifford Brown was such an exception, um, especially in, in, in those days when so many musicians were messed up on, on drugs and alcohol. Clifford was such an exception. And a lot of uh, younger musicians realized that you didn't have to do any of this stuff to become great. You just have to work hard and, and have talent, and, and um, somehow you could make it. And uh, Clifford Brown certainly did, and it's really too bad that he was taken away from us in June of 1956 um, with this terrible car accident. But we're going to be playing some of his music a little later on in the show as a tribute to Brownie. And uh, he was born today in 1930 in Wilmington, Delaware. Now, if Clifford Brown was one of jazz music's best-known musicians, our jazz feature tonight is maybe the least known of any jazz musician. And um, we've had a whole month of uh, very obscure musicians that we have featured uh, on this portion of the show, and uh, this is our last show for the month of October, so our last artist is probably the most obscure. Saved him for the last. His name, Clarence Henry Bagby. He was known as Hank Bagby, and he was born in Denver, Colorado in 1923, 
and lived to the age of 71. He died the 11th of December, 1993. Now, Hank Bagby was just a name to me until I found out that he had made one album under his own name. The story of Hank Bagby is, is kind of interesting because he started his career as a singer, and he sang around his hometown of Denver and uh, then sang up and down the West Coast and uh, was living for a while in San Francisco and was very inspired to take up the saxophone in the late 40s, which he did, and began to work on it and practice it. And it was very soon that he started working with some incredible musicians that were based on the West Coast, uh, people like Kenny Drew, the Farmer Brothers, Addison Farmer and his brother Art Farmer. Uh, Addison played bass, twin brother Art played trumpet, uh, and uh, drummer Frank Butler, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and of course, played all kinds of gigs uh, that one has to do to make a living, playing in Latin bands and yeah, you name it, bar mitzvahs, weddings, all that kind of stuff. Kind of an underground musician, uh, as many African Americans were uh, in Los Angeles. The, the 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 prominent musicians back in the fifties in Los Angeles, before things changed, were basically all Caucasian musicians, and the black musicians, uh, with uh, very few exceptions, were kind of in the background. They were underground. Uh, Los Angeles was not exactly a uh, integrated city. Uh, the, even the musicians' union back in the uh, 40s and 50s was uh, segregated. They had a black musicians' union and a white musicians' union. That all changed, and and more and more you know, everything kind of uh, coalesced in the in the 60s. But uh, back when Bagby was around, it was it was a pretty segregated situation. Anyway, I had never heard of Hank Bagby. And um, I considered myself uh, for many years a pretty devoted jazz fan, and I knew a lot, the names of a lot of very obscure musicians. And Hank Bagby's name came to me in an article in Downbeat magazine. Um, the article was about the legendary pianist Elmo Hope, uh, who at the time lived for about four years in Los Angeles. He was originally from New York, and he was a contemporary of Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell's and, and a great composer. And Elmo had moved to the West Coast to get away from the New York scene. And uh, finally, someone wrote an article about Elmo. It was the only article <laughs> that was ever written in a, a major jazz magazine about Elmo Hope, and he was much more important than that. But anyway, in the article, Elmo discusses his four years on the West Coast with a. Um, the article was entitled "Bitter Hope," um, and Elmo, of course, uh, criticized the the West Coast jazz scene. Um, and he said uh, he basically said that he knew of uh, 14, 15 year old kids that could outplay the musicians uh, in New York that could outplay the musicians in Los Angeles. Um, but he said he did he did make some significant record dates out there. Uh, and he did enjoy the company of some great musicians, people like Stu Williamson, a wonderful trumpet player, uh, Harold Land, the tenor saxophonist, Frank Butler, 
various other people, um, et cetera, et cetera. And he said another positive thing was I met my wife, my, my new wife uh, out there, and, of course, uh, Bertha Hope um, married Elmo, and, and uh, they lived until Elmo's uh, death uh, in 1967. Anyway, part of the article was very interesting because Elmo mentioned that a new, he had just put together a new band um, with a saxophone player by the name of Hank Bagby. And that's the first time I ever heard the name. And I thought, well, if he's working with Elmo Hope, this guy has got to be quality player. I wonder if he's ever made any records. So I investigated and I saw nothing. The Bagby-Elmo Hope Quartet never recorded, sad to say, and Elmo moved back to New York, and Hank Bagby just remained a name for me. And it wasn't until years and years later that I found out that Hank Bagby had made an album, his only album, in 1964, and that's going to be our jazz feature album, and it's a wonderful recording. Um, he put together this little band of fairly unknown musicians and, uh, and recorded this, this uh, wonderful album that we're going to hear. Uh, Hank Bagby went on to uh, play with a whole bunch of uh, other people, Then he eventually moved to Modesto, California, and continued playing uh, and worked locally and also worked for the California government as a... Um, uh, narcotics and alcohol um, counselor, and uh, did that until he retired, and then he passed away at age 71 in 1993. So this is his only album, and it was recorded in 1964, and uh, you'll hear the wonderful tenor saxophone stylings of Hank Bagby, and Elmo Hope was right. He can play, and he also can compose he composed the six tunes on this album, and it was issued on a very small, obscure label called Protone Records. And <laughs> try and find that. Anyway, uh, I believe it's now available. The Japanese issued it on CD, and, and it's possible to purchase this album if you go on to Amazon. And it's a good one. I recommend it. You'll hear it tonight. The people involved here, um, a wonderful trumpet player, on the front line by the name of Chuck Foster. He's equally obscure, but he also worked with um, all kinds of people, uh, in, including Buddy Rich's band. Um, and uh, Chuck was just one of those journeyman trumpet players that uh, was always in bands, but really never um, uh, had any uh, recordings or very few recordings under his own name. I do believe he made one, too, but you'll hear his very fine, crackling trumpet work. Very, very competent and wonderful musician and a good frontline partner for Hank Bagby. The third person involved here is very well known in Los Angeles. Um, he is still alive. His name is Dave McKay. And Dave McKay is a wonderful piano player, uh, worked in the Hollywood studios for, for many years, and uh, an incredibly intuitive musician. He was born blind and um, uh, was a piano virtuoso. And his playing here is, is uh, extremely wonderful. He really contributes to this whole album. Um, Dave McKay uh, played with Don Ellis and all kinds of different bands as well. 
Um, the bass player on the first tune, I think this session was recorded in two different sessions. Uh, there's only one tune with this particular personnel. So we have Chuck Foster on trumpet, the leader Hank Bagby on tenor saxophone, Dave McKay on piano, and on uh, the opening track, uh, a gentleman named Gary Driscoll on bass, and Al Levitt on drums. Now, Al Levitt has played with uh, Stan Getz, Lee Konitz, a number of other people, a very, very fine drummer. So Driscoll and Levitt are only on the first track. The rest of the album, it's the same uh, people, uh, except Al Hines is the bass player, who I, until this album, never heard of. And on drums, a wonderful drummer who was... Uh, Pretty uh, ubiquitous on the Los Angeles scene, Chiz Harris. Charles Harris, uh, his nickname was Chiz, Chiz Harris on drums. Very, very fine drummer. So that's the lineup on this album, and uh, all the tunes are written and arranged by Hank Bagby. So we open with uh, this first tune with the personnel um, of the band with the uh, uh, as I mentioned, the uh, the different uh, bassist and uh, and drummer, Al Levitt and Gary Driscoll on drums and bass, uh, respectively. Dave McKay again on piano, Chuck Foster on trumpet, and Bagby on tenor saxophone. Uh, the first tune is called Dee Dee. And then the rest of the album has got the the other personnel, Al Hines on bass and Chiz Harris on drums. So we go from Dee Dee to The Great Wall is tune number two. Soul Sonnet is tune number three. Kiss Me Quigley is <laughs> tune number four. Iborian is tune number five. And tune number six, the final tune, is the Algerian Suite. Hank Bagby entitled his band, he called his uh, group the Soul Tet. And the title of the album is Opus One. And um, with Hank Bagby, there was only one opus, and it was this one. So I hope you enjoy this uh, jazz feature this evening, and we will probably be, all these people will likely to be new, new names uh, to you, even, uh, even devoted jazz fans. So the music of the Hank Bagby Soul Tet.
And that's our jazz feature. The Hank Bagby Soul Tet. The album was called Opus One, and it was issued on an obscure Los Angeles label, Protone Records. And it was recorded in, as far as I know, early 1964. And it featured Hank Bagby, the leader, on tenor saxophone, and he wrote all six tunes and arranged them with the wonderful Chuck Foster on trumpet, who was uh, absolutely no slouch. And um, this, of course, as I mentioned before, was uh, Hank Bagby's only recording under his own name. On piano, a wonderful player who uh, worked for many years um, in the Hollywood studios and did all kinds of work. He was blind from birth, um, but a genius on the piano, Dave McKay. And he was a little better known than uh, most of the other musicians. On the first tune, the bass player was Gary Driscoll, and the drummer was Al Levitt. And on the rest of the tunes, um, the three people I mentioned, Foster, Bagby, and McKay, uh, Al Hines played uh, bass on the uh, rest of the tunes, and Charles Chiz Harris was the drummer on uh, um, the other five five compositions. So as I mentioned before, uh, Hank Bagby was, uh, until I discovered this album, Hank Bagby was just a name that I had read about, and uh, he had worked, um, according to this article that I had read, he'd worked with pianist Elmo Hope and formed a band called the Bagby Hope Quartet. And unfortunately, they never recorded, and it was um, it was formed in 1960, and not long after that, Elmo Hope packed his bags and headed back to New York City, and Hank Bagby stayed, of course, in uh, Los Angeles, managed to uh, work in several big bands, and um, was part of the underground jazz scene in L.A., and uh, made this recording. And uh, it's, it's a good one. Um, the It was a long sought-after collector's item and uh, actually a very valuable recording because so few of these uh, LPs were printed. But eventually the, uh, the Japanese, I think in 2012 um, or thereabouts, uh, put it out on a CD. And, of course, uh, the LP has been reprinted by various companies as well. So uh, it's now available on um, Amazon and, uh, as you heard, is just an excellent jazz recording. The tunes, all written by uh, Hank Bagby, uh, we opened with uh, Dee Dee was the first tune, and that featured... Uh, Gary Driscoll on bass and Al Levitt on drums, and then, of course, the rest of the tunes with Al Hines on bass and Chiz Harris on drums. Uh, tune number two was called The Great Wall. Uh, tune number three was called Soul Sonnet. Tune number four was called Kiss Me Quigley. Uh, tune number five was entitled Iborian, and the final tune was entitled The Algerian Suite. And, of course, uh, not only was Bagby a very talented tenor saxophonist, but also a very fine composer as well. So this is his legacy. Hank Bagby was born in Denver, uh, as I mentioned, in uh, 1923. 
and uh, didn't take up the saxophone until the late 40s. He began his musical career as a singer and ventured to the West Coast and sang all up and down the coast in San Francisco and Seattle and um, Los Angeles, of course, and then uh, decided to take up the saxophone in the late 40s and worked hard on that and um, became a professional musician um, and played with all kinds of people, um, of course, and was part of the sort of the underground Los Angeles scene. He uh, eventually um, moved to Modesto, California, where he continued to play, uh, and he also worked for the California state government uh, as a drug and alcohol counselor. And he did that until he retired, and then he passed away December 11th, 1993. He was 71 years old. Hank Bagby. All right, our jazz feature this evening, this uh, wonderful, obscure artist and the last of um, a series that we have uh, done in October of uh, musicians that, uh, well, uh, are definitely very obscure. So those of you that have been listening to uh, the jazz feature this month uh, may have made some uh, musical discoveries. And we had a whole batch of them. And Bagby, I guess, I think was the... I would say probably the most obscure of all the obscure musicians that we played. So that's it. We are going to take a brief break right now for uh, to tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show. We've just listened to the jazz feature, and you're listening to The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we're, of course, on CITR FM 101.9, broadcasting out here on unceded Musqueam territory out here at UBC. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and we'll be right back after these significant messages. So, actually, we're going to come back and uh, do a little tribute to... Halloween. Halloween. Indigitization is a program that provides resources and training for First Nations and Aboriginal organizations throughout British Columbia. Come out November 24th from 1 to 4 p.m. in room 2311 in the AMS Nest for a three-hour workshop that will engage participants in a conversation about the unique context of working with Indigenous cultural heritage materials, as well as introduce the tools and equipment necessary to digitize audio cassettes for long-term preservation. Are you in need of any assistance today, sir? No. I could help you cross the street. No. I Tired of the world of no when you have so much to give? CITR and Discorder got you in an outfit for all that stuff. Volunteer Wednesdays are back in the CITR lounge. It's an open house for members like you who are looking to meet cool people and get into the station. Join up, meet some folks, help some causes, or just hang the freak out. At the CRTR Discord Lounge from 1 to 3 every Wednesday for food and good times. Well, I gotta help you cross something. Last night, I left the bar. I was thirsty, and I don't drink wine. I was desperate. I needed blood. 
I turned to the only place I could. The only place that could possibly help me. Hello, Canadian Blood Services. Hello. I need some blood. A. Positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, we're all out of A positive and negative. Would you like some O instead? No. No, that won't do. Thank you. Good night. Save me. Save yourself. Give blood. Voluntarily. This message was brought to you courtesy of the Canadian Blood Services and CITR Radio 101.9 FM. mention the weather at this time and uh well tonight uh, is clear it's going to go down to uh it's pretty cool out there it's it's going to go down to about eight degrees this evening and then tomorrow um there is a chance of some rain actually tomorrow is is i <laughs> i'm i'm getting ahead of myself here tonight is um, actually going down to about six degrees, five or six degrees. So it's quite cool. Tomorrow is actually going to be a very pleasant day, and it's going to go between uh, five and six, and up to eleven or twelve degrees tomorrow. So it'll be just as nice a day as it was today—a real fall day. Then uh, the outlook changes for Wednesday. Um, we're going to see uh, some. Perhaps some shower activity uh, on Wednesday with uh, highs, um, lows between 5 and 11. Then a little cooler on Thursday with uh, actually a 100% chance of rain on Thursday uh, with temperatures between uh, a very cool plus 3 and highs up to about 8. So it's cooling down quite a bit. And, of course, uh, then we're going to get into some interesting weather on the weekend. Um, Friday, there is a chance of even precipitation in, they say, some flurries. Hmm. Low is going to go down to about zero and highs up to about seven. And Saturday, kind of the same way with uh, actually the temperature uh, going below zero on uh, Saturday morning and up to about six, and a chance of, uh, I think, a light, maybe a, a light flurry or something. Nothing is really going to stick as far as uh, I know. However, the the word flurry scares the daylights out of people, and <laughs> especially in Vancouver. And it's going to stay cool for Sunday as well. Um, 
November 5th, so it's going to go down to about minus 2 and up to about 4. So that's the basic weather picture for the week. And, uh, yeah, tomorrow is Halloween. And we're going to begin with a little Halloween music starting right now. And here is the mysterious Babyface
till death as she clutched my hand. I knew she was coming, so I stood like a man. She drew up closer, close enough for me to look into her face and then began to wonder, hadn't I seen her some other place? She beckoned for me to come closer as if to pay an old debt. I knew what she wanted. It wasn't quite time yet. She threw her arms about me as many women had done before. I heard her whisper, you'll never cheat me, never anymore. Darkness and nothingness clouded my mind. I began to realize death was nothing to fear, but something sweet and kind. I pinched to see if I was dreaming, but failed to find bodily form. I then began to realize death had worked her charm. Taking myself of nothingness, I chose a road to walk. I noticed death's pleasantness with no one to stop me to talk. I remembered stories of heaven as I visioned the glow ahead. Two roads lay waiting for me to choose one now that I was dead. One road was dark. I could not see clearly its long stretched highway. The other road was golden and glowing and shining as bright as day. I then remembered stories of pearly gates, golden streets, or how, however those stories were told. I knew I'd reach heaven on this highway. If not, I'd have the gold. I took one footstep, feeling safe and acting bold. Suddenly, I realized my mistake. My chosen road turned black, bittery, and white, cold. No longer was it golden glory nor heaven at its end. White hot flames were blazing, I saw the devil with his grin. I had taken but one footstep, so I turned to hurry back. But there a sound all waited through, not a door, nor a crack. Finally, coming to my senses, I walked on to my hell. For long before death had called me, my end was planned. Planned, but well.
Three pieces of music we just heard, dedicated to All Hallows' Eve. Yes, Halloween. We began with Hammond organist Babyface Willette from a very rare album that came out on Argo Records called Mo Rock. And we heard a composition of his called Scenes Unseen and Unknown, and it featured um, Mr. Willette on Hammond organ, and he did that unearthly screaming on there as well, along with Ben White on guitar and Eugene Bass on bass. And we followed that with George Russell, and probably the most, uh, one of the most unique versions of Round Midnight than I can imagine, and also Spooky. And um, Don Ellis on trumpet, Dave Baker on trombone, and of course the piece of music featured Eric Dolphy on alto saxophone, Steve Swallow on bass, Joe Hunt on drums, and of course the arranger and creator of that version of Monk's great tune, George Russell on piano. And that's from an album called Aesthetics. And, of course, uh, the spooky version of uh, <laughs> Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. And the following tune after that with the narration uh, 
was none other than Charles Mingus. And that was from his incredible album called Let My Children Hear Music. And that featured a huge orchestra. And, of course, that, uh, that poem or that uh, recitation by Mingus was something that he wrote when he was, I believe he was 19 years old when he uh, um, conceived of that and um, wrote the music around it. And, of course, it was expanded for a, a huge orchestra. And the soloist on there, the alto saxophone soloist, was my good friend Charles McPherson. And uh, that was... Uh, Yes, Charles Mingus, master of very often the uh, the bizarre and uh, the surreal in music. Now we're going to hear something very special, and I'm not going to tell you what it is until we hear it, and we're going to hear it. Right now, this is uh, traditional for Halloween. I'll play it now and tell you what it is later. <laughs> Welcome. Permit me to introduce myself. I am called Dracula. I am really the bebop vampire. I like the sun. I like the sun to shine. Drink. We must all drink. Everybody must drink. Today on the market, we got instant blood for you to drink. I want you all to drink. Ah, that's it. That's good. That's good. Drink, drink. Quench, quench your thirst. Quench your thirst. Good. <laughs> Children. You, over there, drink your soup before it clots. Put the children to bed. Uh, children, uh, drink your blood and bite your mama good night. Bite your mama good night. Put two more marks on your mama's ugly lane. Go away. Go away for the moment. Let me do my work. Go away. Go away. You know I must do my work. I must do my experiments. Go away. I will find a victim. Don't worry, I shall find a victim. Dracula will find a victim. Are you looking strange? You're not a vampire. I am a vampire, not you. If you don't stay away, I will take your ukulele, and then you'll become a vampire. If you become a vampire, you will understand. Don't worry, Bela, Bela will return. Bela shall come back. Master, Master, those strange sounds. What are those strange sounds, Master? Don't worry, Chuba. The children of the night make such beautiful music. Thank you. 
doing here with the children again? I children, go, go in the belfry and play with the bats. Our tribute, the jazz show's tribute to Halloween. And of course, that was the classic from an album called Blues for Dracula. It came out on Riverside Records, and of course, that was the, the key track. The voice on there, of course, was the great Philly Joe Jones, who was a huge fan of Bella Lugosi and, uh, and Dracula. And uh, he very often on, uh, on gigs and so on, he would entertain uh, musicians or in the dressing room or wherever uh, with, uh, with his uh, uncanny imitation of uh, the voice of Dracula through uh, Bella Lugosi. And of course, um, decided to do this for this album. And uh, what a great uh, group of um, stars I, on, this, uh, on this date, which was done in uh, late 1958 for uh, Riverside Records. Of course, Philly Joe on drums, leading one of my favorite tenor saxophones, Johnny Griffin, who actually wrote that tune. Uh, Lo Joe called it Blues for Jack Dracula. The actual title of that tune was called Purple Shades, and it was written by Johnny Griffin, who played the tenor saxophone here. Nat Adderley, Cannonball's brother on cornet, Julian Priester on trombone, the great Tommy Flanagan on piano, and Jimmy Garrison on bass. You know, I, I was thinking um, it might be a a nice idea to play another tune from that album. And I think we're going to do that uh, right now as soon as I get it set up. But I would like to tell you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9. And my name is Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And we've just done our little tribute to, uh, to Halloween. And uh, we're going to... Um, play you another track from this album. This is a killer track, actually, uh, which features this incredible band that we just heard. And um, also, I'd like to tell you that you uh, can check us out on the internet as well uh, for live streaming. And um, that is www.citr.ca. Okay, we're going to hear this tune. It's called Tune Up. Now, the, this tune for years has always been credited to Miles Davis, but he didn't write the tune. He did a famous version of it, and it became uh, a tune that he played in his band all the time, and somehow he managed to take credit for it. It was really written by a great blues singer and alto saxophonist, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent, and he wrote this tune. It's called Tune Up. And we're going to hear this band once again. Philly Joe Jones on drums. Um, Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone. And uh, Julian Priester on trombone. Tommy Flanagan on piano. Jimmy Garrison on bass. And we're going to hear Tune Up.
Yes, a burning track from a great album entitled Blues for Dracula. And, of course, uh, we heard the, uh, the title track a little while ago on our tribute to Halloween. But uh, I thought, well, this is, we just heard another great tune from, uh, from this by this uh, incredible sextet led by my favorite drummer, Philly Joe Jones along with uh, Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, Nat Adderley on cornet and top form, Julian Priester on trombone, Tommy Flanagan at the piano, and Jimmy Garrison on bass. And, of course, that was uh, a tune written by Eddie Cleanhead Vinson called Tune Up. And, uh, of course, it was a favorite of uh, Philly Joe's. He played it so often with Miles Davis and it was one of those tunes that Miles uh, appropriated. He did a definitive version of it, of course, and then he took composer's credit, uh, but he didn't write it. It was written by Cleanhead Vincent. Anyway, that's it. Tune up. You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or 
on the web, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And as promised, a tribute to the wonderful Clifford Brown. Clifford Brown was such a stellar musician, as I mentioned before, right at the top of the show. Clifford Brown was an example of just a fine human being. He was uh, um, a good father, um, a good husband. Uh, he was very straight-up guy. He, he worked hard, practiced his trumpet all the time, became such a great musician. And he was really an example to a lot of musicians. I know I remember having a t- long conversation with Sonny Rollins, and Sonny said he was going through some very definite uh, 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 problems uh, that he was having, and he looked to Clifford for um, strength to deal with his uh, with his personal problems. Sonny was, uh, at, he said at the time I was getting over, I was still feeling the pangs of um, drug addiction, and uh, I, I was uh, drinking too much to kind of compensate and and uh, uh, smoking tons of cigarettes and all that sort of stuff. And Clifford didn't do any of that stuff at all. And, and somehow, you know, I thought, well, um, son, as, as, as Sonny said, he, he looked up to Clifford because he said he was making this incredible music. He said we were playing alongside in, in Max Roach's band uh, night after night, and, and Clifford was just so consistent and so wonderful. And he said it was a really fine example, and, and his... Uh, stable personality gave me a lot of strength to deal with my own problems. And, of course, Clifford was an example um, for not only uh, someone he was close to, like Sonny Rollins, but a lot of musicians. And uh, he was just a stellar individual, and it was so sad when he died in a car accident in uh, June of 1956. And uh, Clifford was only uh, 26 years old, and we lost one of the greatest exponents of the trumpet. Now, as I mentioned before, Clifford Brown um, came along in the early 50s and began to uh, assert his uh, musical influence and impress so many people. Um, There were older trumpet players who already had established their style, Miles Davis being one of them. Um, Dizzy Gillespie, of course, being sort of the father of modern jazz trumpeter, trumpet playing, and um, the late Fats Navarro, who was really the most direct influence on Clifford Brown. But Fats, of course, was a tragic figure, and he died very young from uh, drug abuse in 1950. And, uh, of course, he didn't live to the LP era, so we only hear Fats on these three-minute-type discs uh, but he influenced Clifford Brown. And, of course, Kenny Dorham was the other um, wonderful trumpet player of the older generation. So it was those four gentlemen. But when Clifford Brown came along, he influenced every other trumpet player uh, of his generation. People like Freddie Hubbard, Lee Morgan, Donald Byrd, uh, and so many others. Clifford Brown was the standard for trumpet playing. So we're going to pay tribute to Brownie. He was born in Wilmington, Delaware on today, October 30th, 1930. And um, we're going to feature him with, um, he joined Max Roach's band. Max uh, Clifford was living on the East Coast, and Max called him out to the West Coast to uh, uh, be part of this band that Max was uh, had in his mind and that he wanted to form. Interestingly enough, 
they did all the rehearsals at uh, Eric Dolphy's house in Los Angeles. Um, Eric Dolphy's parents had built him a, um, a soundproof uh, studio in the back of, uh, uh, of the home uh, for Eric to practice. And, of course, uh, he had befriended so many musicians, and, and the Max Roach, Clifford Brown, uh, got all the repertoire, um, their initial repertoire together at uh, Eric Dolphy's house. And, of course, began recording and concertizing. And once the personnel was settled in the band, and uh, it definitely is on this recording. The, these are, um, this was recorded August 30th, 1954, in concert at the Shrine Auditorium in, Lo- in Los Angeles. We're going to hear the Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet, one of the most significant jazz groups uh, of any era. Max Roach on drums. Clifford Brown on trumpet, Harold Land, one of my favorites, on tenor saxophone, Richie Powell on piano, Bud Powell's younger brother, and George Morrill on bass. And we'll hear um, the introduction, and uh, the first tune of the set is called Jordu, and then we'll hear Clifford Brown deliver the great ballad, which, of course, is a trumpeter's feature, Uh, It's a tune by Vernon Duke called I Can't Get Started With You. And we'll carry on after that with a tribute to the great Clifford Brown. So here then we take you back to the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, August 30th, 1954. Clifford Brown, Max Roach. We very proudly present the Max Roach All-Stars with Clifford Brown. Let's give him a hand. Thank you, folks. We hope you like our interpretation of Jor Do.
Thank you. It's our pleasure now to present our stellar trumpeter, Clifford Brown, with his interpretation of I Can't Get Started With You.
The title of this one is Parisian Thoroughfare.
Clifford Brown and Max Roach in concert at the uh, Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, August 30th, 1954. And, of course, uh, the personnel uh, in the band had become uh, stable, and, of course, they were rehearsing all the time. And um, this was uh, one of their early great uh, concerts, and we heard three tunes from that uh, event. And don't forget, Clifford Brown was uh, only 24 years old then on trumpet. Clifford Brown on trumpet with, of course, uh, Max Roach on drums, Harold Land on tenor saxophone, Richie Powell on piano, George Morrow on bass. And we open with uh, Duke Jordan's composition called Jordu. And then, of course, the uh, feature for Clifford, uh, the ballad feature, I Can't Get Started With You, Vernon Duke's great tune. Of course, it's a trumpet anthem, really. Um, if body and soul is uh, connected to the tenor saxophone, as it always has been, um, I Can't Get Started is connected to the, the trumpet. Um, it's always been a feature for great trumpet players, and Clifford Brown was amazing on that. And the final tune was written by the great Bud Powell, and that was entitled Parisian Thoroughfare. And uh, with the band uh, <laughs> getting into all kinds of uh, effects uh, on that tune. Now, I'm going to uh, continue with Clifford Brown and Max Roach. I want to play you one more thing by this very same band, but it was recorded in the studio uh, in New York City a little um, while later in February of 1955 in New York. And this particular trumpet solo on here has been used uh, in schools um, as, as a study, much like um, John Coltrane's Giant Steps um, has been used for uh, saxophone players. And they really have to play that, that tune. And, of course, they, they, they teach you that in, in school. And, and once you become competent enough, you should be able to play it. Clifford Brown's solo on Cherokee, uh, which is the standard tune written by Ray Noble, um, is one of those high watermarks. And uh, again, it's taught to uh, young trumpet players. And there's, and there's some of these great college bands uh, which feature this tune, and they have like five trumpets um, in unison playing uh, Clifford's uh, solo on, on this uh, uh, improvised solo on this original version of this tune. So once again, the same personnel, Clifford Brown on trumpet, Max Roach on drums, uh, the two co-leaders, Harold Land on tenor saxophone, George Morrow on bass, and the band's arranger, Richard Powell on piano. And here then is Cherokee.
That, of course, was from an album called Study in Brown, and that featured the Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet with, of course, the great Clifford Brown on trumpet, Max Roach on drums, Harold Land, tenor saxophone, George Morrow on bass, and Richie Powell on piano. And that was uh, the band's version of Ray Noble's Cherokee with that classic Clifford Brown trumpet solo and uh, setting standards, as he always did with his incredible playing. The um, final piece of music, a little more obscure. We go now to a legendary club in Chicago called the Beehive. And we reach a point with the Brown Roach Group, which had been together for a couple of years with the same personnel. Harold Land, the tenor saxophonist, uh, had opted to leave the band um, and go back to his hometown of uh, San Diego for a time because his mother had become ill, and uh, he wanted to make sure that she was going to be all right. So he... um, reluctantly left the band. Now, the band was on tour when that happened, and they were heading back east, and they had a gig at the Beehive in Chicago. Max Roach uh, had put his feelers out, and he was looking at uh, auditioning some musicians for the band, for the saxophone position in the band. One of them was a very, very fine Chicago saxophonist by the name of Nicky Hill. There was another gentleman who was at that time living in Chicago. His name, Sonny Rollins. And Sonny had moved to Chicago um, in late 1954 to um, self medicate and get himself off hard drugs, which had been uh, he had been involved with for the last few years in New York. So he moved out of New York and uh, went into um, sort of a hibernation to, uh, to do that and to uh, better himself uh, physically and mentally and also practice. Um, he took uh, laboring jobs in Chicago, like working in, in warehouses, and kept uh, uh, a re- really healthy regimen, and uh, uh, was able to cure himself of drug addiction without any, any kind of therapy at all, just through sheer will. Sonny Rollins was ready to reemerge uh, on the scene. Uh, as he had not been heard of uh, for most of the most of that year, 1955, and uh, he was one of the ones that uh, was also looking to join Max Roach's band. So, as it turned out, Max Roach hired Sonny Rollins. Um, Miles Davis had actually wanted him to hire uh, hire Rollins uh, a few months earlier, but uh, Sonny wasn't ready at that time, so he turned down the gig, and that's how John Coltrane got into Miles' band. Uh, but Max Roach, well, I, I guess his timing was perfect, um, and he saw that Nicky Hill had some problems that he didn't want to deal with, even though he was a great saxophonist, and so Max opted for hiring Sonny Rollins, and of course the rest is history. Rollins was 
with that band until, um, well, even after too, but he was with the band until the untimely death of Clifford Brown, but he stayed with Max until early 1957. So Sonny was ready to go out and conquer the world. So this recording is very interesting because um, it features an incredible solo by Clifford Brown. Now, these, this is not a professional recording. Uh, this, this was done by a fan who had a, a, a very good tape recorder and happened to turn it on and, and record a whole bunch of music from this uh, uh, gig at the Beehive. And um, so we're going to hear uh, a version of Tad Dameron's tune, Hot House, by the Clifford Brown, Max Roach Quintet. And unfortunately, it cuts out uh, after a few choruses of Sonny Rollins' solo. But it contains an amazing, absolutely amazing trumpet solo by Clifford Brown. Now, it starts out kind of ragged. I think the tune was called, Clifford was, seems to be the only one that really knows the tune well or had played it. And it sounds like Sonny Rollins hadn't, hadn't uh, either learned it or uh, played it often enough so to internalize the tune. So um, the, the, the opening of the tune is a little bit sloppy. Um, however, uh, the structure of the tune, because it's based on a standard, it's based on the, the Cole Porter tune, what is this thing called love, um, all the musicians know the tune, and of course it's a great vehicle for improvisation. But it's Clifford Brown's solo that is just the highlight on here. He pulls out all the stops. Um, it's unbelievable uh, what Max does behind him as well. So here then is the Max Roach, Clifford Brown quintet, uh, with Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone instead of Harold Land, uh, Richie Powell on piano, George Morrow on bass, Max Roach on drums, and Clifford Brown on trumpet. And this is our final selection in uh, our tribute to the great Clifford Brown. But this solo is unbelievably incredible. So check it out. Session here at the Beehive. Uh, this is the new We have Paris here on tenor saxophone. And uh, William Wallace on piano. And Leo Blevins on guitar. And the regular is our baby, Brad Meyer, our cover of Clifford Brown, and Wes Cruz, Max Wood. Well, when we put them in this record, it will be right with our final performance of the evening.
Yeah, it's too bad that the uh, the tape ran out. Uh, just as uh, Sonny was uh, really really playing. So we heard this uh, version. Um, we heard the voice of Max Roach uh, opening the thing, and he he acknowledged all the other people that were uh, uh, had joined them uh, that evening, sitting in with the band. But uh, this was the regular band, and I guess uh, somebody suddenly called Hot House uh, the tune, and um, it, as I said, the, the, the opening was a little sloppy uh, for these guys, but I guess they hadn't played it often enough together. Clifford uh, Brown seemed to be the only one that, that really knew it. Uh, however, uh, the structure of, of that particular tune is a standard, so everybody uh, was able to uh, improvise on it uh, very easily. So we heard this amazing solo by Clifford Brown. Um, despite the... Um, the rather poor recording quality. It was all done at uh, the legendary Chicago jazz club called the Beehive. That was the center of jazz uh, in uh, the Windy City at that time. Everybody played at that club. And uh, um, this was recorded in November of uh, 1955. And, of course, Sonny Rollins was picked uh, to join this band, and then the rest, of course, is history. So we heard Clifford Brown uh, with that amazing trumpet solo, uh, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, uh, Richie Powell on piano, George Morrow on bass, and, of course, uh, Max Roach doing some fabulous backing up of uh, the soloists on that tune, Tad Dameron's uh, Hot House, based on what is this thing called love. So that uh, ends our small tribute to this great trumpeter, Clifford Brown, and um, as I said, he was born October 30th, 1930, and died in June of 1956 as a result of an automobile accident. Um, he died along with uh, the pianist, Richie Powell. They were both in the same car, and the car was driven by Richie's wife, and uh, it was a very windy and rainy night, and they slipped off the freeway and... Uh, that was the end of uh, all three of them, sad to say. One of the biggest tragedies in jazz music, Clifford Brown. Well, we hope you enjoyed that uh, um, tribute to Brownie. And uh, we'll be right back with uh, a great Canadian saxophonist, one of my favorites, and uh, uh, one of my really good friends as well. We're going to hear his latest recording. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course, we're live streaming on www.citr.ca. I should mention two great websites that are always informative. One of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. Not only do they produce the Jazz Festival every year, but, of course, they have concerts and events happening all throughout the year. And, of course, they are backers of Frankie's Jazz Club, one of Vancouver's leading uh, jazz venues. And uh, Frankie's, of course, is programmed by Corey Weeds. And there's always fine, fine music at Frankie's. Um, 
You can get onto the Coastal Jazz website because it has all of that information. It has the whole schedule for Frankie's and, of course, um, their up-and-coming concerts. Now, you can um, make reservations at Frankie's. You can check out who you want to see uh, and, and who you want to check out, make reservations, pay for them, do all that stuff on the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and that's coastaljazz.ca. And another very important website is uh, very informative and important is Brian Nation's wonderful website, vancouverjazz.com. So that's coastaljazz.ca or vancouverjazz.com, and you'll find all kinds of links on both of those sites. And I'd also like to mention Pat's Pub in the uh, historic uh, Patricia Hotel in the downtown east side. Pat's Pub, very comfortable spot. They have jazz every Saturday afternoon. Some of our finest musicians play at Pat's Pub. My good friend Campbell Riga will be playing there this coming Saturday afternoon with his quartet. Very, very fine group with uh, Chris Sigurdsson on piano and, of course, Campbell on uh, alto saxophone and soprano saxophone, one of Canada's finest musicians. You can check out Pat's Pub. They have uh, the music starts. Uh, it's from 3 to 7 every Saturday afternoon, and it's free. No cover charge. And uh, that's a real bonus. And, of course, uh, Pat's Pub is in the historic Patricia Hotel. So check it out. All right. We have a couple of uh, more announcements, and we'll be right back with some uh, incredible music from a great Canadian artist. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass rent evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. My good friend, P.J. Perry, is one of this country's leading saxophonists. He, uh, he was inducted into, uh, uh, he became a member of the Order of Canada just recently. He's had all kinds of honors and accolades, and he's made all kinds of wonderful albums. And P.J. is in his uh, mid-70s now and playing probably better than ever. Um, his uh, stamina, his energy, and his musicality is uh, second to none. Um, P.J. is a resident of uh, Edmonton, Alberta. He has been there for many, many years. And uh, his, uh, his, his family is there and that sort of thing. P.J., of course, uh, lived in Vancouver uh, also for many years, and, um, but he's been based in Edmonton. And he, um, this latest album, which is on Cellar Live, is called Alto Gusto. Now, P.J. plays all the saxophones. He plays baritone, he plays tenor, but alto is his, really, his favorite. 
Um, and um, he's just, uh, he's always been in love with that, uh, the great E-flat saxophone, the alto saxophone. And, of course, he's one of the most distinctive voices on there. P.J. recorded this at the Yardbird Suite, uh, the leading jazz club in Edmonton, in May of 2017. And it's uh, just been released on Cellar Live. And it's called Alto Gusto. And we're going to hear P.J. with a hand-picked quartet of some of his favorite musicians, including from Los Angeles, a wonderful piano player by the name of John Mayer. And, of course, John paid his dues in New York, played with Coltrane, Jackie McLean, all kinds of people. He was based in Los Angeles now for many, many years, and um, he's he's wonderful piano player. And he's around the same age as PJ in his mid-'70s, and uh, second to none on piano. On bass, one of my favorites, uh, he lives in Toronto. His name is Steve Wallace. And on drums... The fabulous Quincy Davis. We're going to hear a Charlie Parker composition. PJ has really always been in love with Charlie Parker's music and is able to interpret it so beautifully. I think it was Charlie Parker that really inspired PJ to play the saxophone, as and uh, he certainly does this tune so beautifully. It's a Charlie Parker composition based on the standard Embraceable You. Charlie Parker uh, wrote some variations on it and called it Quasimodo, and that's what we're going to hear.
Well, I would say that P.J. really nailed that tune. Charlie Parker would be very proud of P.J.'s interpretation of his tune. That was a composition by Charlie Parker based on a standard. Uh, The standard was Embraceable You. And uh, the tune um, is called Quasimodo, and uh, a rather difficult tune. And P.J. did such a beautiful job on there on alto saxophone, one of Canada's leading musicians and uh, such a fine, fine saxophone player. John Mayer on piano, Steve Wallace on bass, and Quincy Davis on drums. And that's just one track from this very, very fine album on Cellar Live entitled Alto Gusto. And um, P.J. mentioned that um, it, uh, he had played that tune uh, so many years, um, Charlie Parker. He says, Charlie Parker's Quasimodo has always been a favorite of mine, and it lies perfectly on the alto. And after all these years, I think I've come close to phrasing it properly. I would agree. So there you go. This is a wonderful album, P.J. Perry, Alto Gusto. We'll hear more from that in future shows. I'm going to go to a rather rare album now to uh, continue. This is by an album by drummer Ron Jefferson. And Ron was a very tasteful, well-known drummer who lived in Los Angeles for many years, worked with Les McCann, and um, did this album under his own name. Uh, It features uh, Tricky Lofton on trombone, and one of my favorite lesser-known tenor saxophonists, Wilbur Brown. Just a very, very fine player. Didn't record very much, but he he is great. On Vibes, a very young Bobby Hutcherson who was still living in Los Angeles at the time, his, his hometown. Frank Strazeri on piano, Leroy Vinegar on bass, and of course the leader, uh, Ron Jefferson on drums. And uh, this is a tune uh, written by, I forget who wrote this tune. I believe, uh, I'll tell you in a minute. Oh, it was written by, of course, Phineas Newborn Jr., the great pianist. And this is called the Ivy League Blues. Ron Jefferson and Company. Thank you. 
And so ends another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on the web www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. The last three tunes we heard, we opened up with uh, one by drummer Ron Jefferson. And Ron led a great band with uh, Wilbur Brown on tenor saxophone, uh, Tricky Lofton on trombone, Frank Strazeri on piano, and a very young Bobby Hutcherson on vibes, and Leroy Vinegar on bass. And we heard a composition by Phineas Newborn called Ivy League Blues. Then we moved to uh, a track from uh, George Russell's great album, uh, Aesthetics. And this was a tune called Thoughts. And that was written by trombonist David Baker. And we heard uh, on the front line uh, Don Ellis on trumpet, David Baker, the composer, on trombone, and Eric Dolphy on bass clarinet, George Russell, of course, the leader on uh, piano, Steve Swallow on acoustic bass, and Joe Hunt on drums. Thoughts was the name of the tune. And the final thing we heard was um, from a rare album called Doing the Thang. And we heard The Thang, written by pianist Ronnie Matthews. And he led a wonderful band with Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Charles Davis on baritone saxophone, Eddie Kahn on bass, and Albert Tootie Heath on drums, and of course, Mr. Matthews on piano. And we heard The Thang. So ends this uh, edition of The Jazz Show. We hope you can join us next week in the merry month of November. And uh, we've got some interesting jazz features um, next month, but we'll tell you about them when you tune in next Monday. Of course, we start every Monday at 9 p.m. Take care. Have a good time. Enjoy what's left of the fall season. It's looking good, but getting a little cooler out there. So, uh, well, just be cool. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now.
Thank you.